Welcome to No Filler, the music podcast dedicated to sharing the often overlooked hidden gems that fill the space between the singles on our favorite records. My name is Quentin. With me, as always, is my brother Travis. And today we're covering The Shins, dude. This is one of those bands for me, it's like, you know, it was inevitable that we were going to cover them. Well, this is their debut album. I think it's worth mentioning. Yes. This is their debut album from 2001 called O Inverted World. Uh, we're going to touch briefly on uh, their history, but we got a lot of music today, so we're not going to do too much of that. So, Travis, you've seen the movie Garden State, right? Who hasn't seen that movie, Q? I mean, it is, now here's the thing. It's an indie film. And it was one of those coming-of-age films, you know. So I think it spoke to our generation because it came out around the time that we were dealing with similar things that the main character was dealing with, you know. Totally. And and I was going to say, like, I feel like that might be one of those movies that we feel like everyone's seen Garden State, but it, maybe it's just people that are around our age. Yeah, absolutely. But um, anyways, their, their song, New Sling popped up on the the movie Garden State and we kind of like hinted at this last week on our sidetrack where it, it's not just that this song showed up on this movie but one of the other main characters basically handed uh you know a pair of headphones to Zach Braff's character and said listen to this song it'll change your life i think basically that's what she said i'm glad that you brought up the scene in particular because it's not just that oh it was a song that played you know in the background of a scene like it was a right a a you know there was so much attention brought to it you know because it's more it's literally hey listen to this and then and then it just is you know a cut to the main character listening to the song for a good i don't know 20 seconds maybe something like that so the audience puts the ear he puts the earphones on and that's what takes over the scene. Yeah, you are listening with the character. So it's basically the the, the director saying the same thing to the audience. Like, hey, listen right. to this song. It's going to change your life. The, yeah. And dude, man, I mean, I don't know if we should play a little bit of it, but New Sling is is, is something else, man. Uh, and I feel like we're diving right into it, but like... Yeah, that's fine. I mean, it, it's such a good song, dude. Let's play a little bit, just a little bit of yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 you know, the intro that you played was also... Uh, featured in that film so is it really i'm pretty sure yeah uh, it's not yeah, just there is, one there, song I there mean, is a couple multiple. songs from the shins on on uh garden state yeah so i i the intro song was carrying is creepy which is the first track on this record which i believe is a single as well all right well hey let's play just a little bit of it uh just kind of get us get us in the shins mood for for the evening uh so here's a little bit of um the Shin's song, 
New Slang, which popped up in the 2004 film Garden State. talk about with this song and this is what i think kind of set the shins apart from other quote-unquote indie bands around this time um and like a lot of articles that i that i read around this time when they were you know focusing when they were talking about the shins so like indie rock or that that label kind of like they kind of pigeonholed them, them themselves into this like you know little box and you know there's just a lot of music that was coming out around this time that just sounded all the same um the shins were able to you know have this familiar sound but were also very unique um the thing that james mercer was setting out to do when he started the shins was to, to have this just, you know, it was a pop band. He wanted to be in a pop band, but he was super into the, like the oldies, you know, like the beach boys. He was also really obsessed with Phil Spector, you know, and that wall of sound. I've got a list here of some other influences that I, that I read that's attributed to them. Uh, you already said the beach boys, but the Beatles, the zombies, the Smiths, the Cure, yeah. Echo and the Bunnymen. And, you know, what we're going to find out, obviously, when we keep listening to this is just how how well he blended all of those sounds and still kept it, like, refreshing and, like, new, you know? Yes. yeah. It just yeah, sounds he- so... I think that's what made this album and their sound so... Um, what catapulted them so quickly is it like you were saying, it's familiar, but it's also... Like very modern sounding too, yeah, yeah. Or at least and, for back then, at the, in two thousand and one, you know. Yeah, and like we had mentioned uh, last week when we covered Neva De Nova, there was this kind of "quiet is the new loud" movement, is 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 how it's been put mm-hmm. um, with bands, um, kind of uh, like you know Peter Bjorn and John come to mind. 
Kings of Convenience. Um, I don't know, Matt Pond, PA, which probably means nothing <laughs> to most people. Yeah, I don't know if they um, had much success, but... Yeah, it's that but, scene. You know, it was that, it that, was that yeah. acoustic heavy, or um, you know, very, you know, pretty harmonies and and uh, just just quieter sounding music, I guess. Uh, you know that that was just kind of in the face of more heavy stuff, I guess. Um, let's see, we were what thirteen, fourteen when this album came out, right? Um, I mean. Yeah, dude, this is just this was this was something new um in music at that time. And um yeah, the shins were are, are now considered like top of the list. This is, you know, the shins is, is what kind of catapulted this sound uh into the stratosphere. Um so I wanted to Yeah, they definitely they definitely helped like usher in indie music into mainstream yeah yeah and again like it's one of those things indie the the term indie is just so overused and it continues to be overused but i mean really what is what does that even mean what does indie rock yeah we've talked about that before i mean it's not yeah it's it's hard to (laughs) it's hard to classify yeah there's no one sound uh attributed to it but you know obviously it the term originated from bands that weren't signed to a major record label. Right. Didn't matter right. what the sound or genre was, but yeah, that's, and that, that term and that's has now been used to, to I, I, I think, or I feel like it, it, it's used to describe a very particular sound, but you know, it could, it could apply and it does apply to a wide range of, of bands, but I don't know. Yeah. But when I think of indie music, I think of, Bands like The Shins, you know, or bands like um, Beach House or Beach House. But, but, you know, that's the thing. Beach House is dream pop. So, I mean, it's it's tough because, I mean, that's the thing. Here's another thing. I think dream. uh, It's funny that you mentioned Beach House because The Shins kind of helped catapult sub pop records, uh, sort of revive them again. And Beach House is signed to sub pop. So it's kind of one of those things where it's like, well. If sub pop is now a a, I mean, I guess you have to define major record label because it's like sub pop is is pretty major if you ask me, but it's not major major. It's not like uh, capital, <laughs> you know. Or it's not and dude, and and we're we're getting in the weeds here, man. Yeah, yeah. And that that's what happens when you try to talk about what the fuck does it mean to be an indie rock band? You're splitting hairs and like it doesn't. At the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. Well, here's what it comes down to, dude. Okay. Um, I can relate to this because I live up in the Pacific Northwest and we have a ridiculous amount of... Sub-pop is in Seattle, so there you go. Well, yeah, and I wasn't even going that route. Um, we have a ridiculous amount of like very small uh, like micro breweries, you know. Um, one of the beloved breweries up here in Seattle is uh, Elysian. Um, they make a damn fine IPA, Space Dust. Anyways, uh they basically got bought out by Anheuser-Busch like maybe four or five years ago. People were freaking out about it. You know, like, well, there goes Elysian. It got bought out by Anheuser-Busch. Yeah. And I feel like that's what a lot of people, when they think of, when, when they're talking about indie bands and like, you know, bands that they love that, like we were saying, like, indie means like you're doing your own thing 
and you're getting your music out there, but you're doing it on your own. You're not on a major label. Like people for some reason get offended or uh, they'll disown you if you get bought out essentially or you know if you get picked up by a by a big company or whatever then like you lose your cred or whatever i I don't agree with it a lot of times like like with with elysian or or whatever and in whatever case whatever case it might be and a lot of times i feel like it's probably more because you gotta pay your employees or you, you know you're trying to make money like that's you know you're doing it for your for your career uh, Elysian gets bought out by Anheuser-Busch. That's probably because they needed to pay their employees. The Shins get signed on as sub-bob. That's because James Mercer and his band members want to make money, you know, doing what they're doing. I don't, I don't know. It's, but that's, it, that's the thing. It's the, like they, so I read an article that said that, um, sub-pops like marketing, uh, like forecast or whatever their revenue, uh, expectations for this album was like 10,000 units. And they went on to sold to sell like a hundred thousand units. So it's not like signing to Sub Pop was the Shin saying, "All right, hey, we're gonna make it big now. We're on Sub Pop." Like Sub Pop wasn't what it is today when they signed him. So that's, I'm sure a know. lot of that had to do with Garden State. Like, oh yeah, term. most likely. Yeah. But but yeah, still like I feel like like you're saying there's we're splitting hairs. I think yeah. that's that's what it comes down to when a lot of people try to like classify what indie rock means anyways um before we talk about the shins and listen to some shins tunes uh, i want to talk briefly about the band that james mercer was in before the shins uh it's a band called flake um now they're referred to as flake music um but they were a band that were active from 1992 to 1999 so a good chunk of time um and one of the members of that band uh, is a guy named jesse sandoval sandoval i don't know uh who was uh, the drummer in um flake music and he also ended up uh, drumming for the shins for quite a while uh but anyways there were a few other members in the band and if you think about the time frame that Flake Music was was active, they were kind of caught up in this. Uh, it, it was it was in the grunge phase of of rock and roll, you know. But but like little tiny branches were starting to form with grunge music, you know. Like we kind of talked about like dream pop or shoegaze stemming from grunge. Flake Music was was kind of trying to emulate bands that were popular at the time is what how james mercer puts it but anyways i'm gonna let james mercer kind of talk about it and kind of like what led to him breaking free from flake and starting the shin so here's a clip of an an interview that james mercer did in 2007 um and he's talking about uh his band flake I was unhappy with this whole thing of like the pavement style and the, the indie rock power pop thing, the distortion pedal, the, you know, this, this whole uh, aesthetic that I just wanted to break away from. I was really into uh, early rock and roll and uh, R&B and I wanted to do my best to try and start to put something like that together, you know, and I had these songs that I was writing that didn't work in Flake. You know, the guys just 
um, especially Neil at the time, who was the other principal songwriter for Flake. He just didn't like that stuff, you know? He didn't like oldies. He didn't like uh, kinks and stuff like that. He just thought it was, you know, boring. <laughs> and so it was hard for me to get any of that to go work, you know? So um, that's why the shin started. So uh, before I talk a little bit more about you know, the transition from Flake to Shins, I want to play a song from the one full-length album that, that Flake released. And I don't know if I should say Flake or Flake Music because they re-released their one full-length album, which is called When You Land Here, It's Time to Return. Uh, they re-released it, or I, by they I mean James, re-released it not that long ago. Um, back in 2014, he re-released it, uh, like on vinyl. And now now it's it's Flake music, but they also just went by Flake back in the 90s. Dude, that's your classic 90s, Dude, like... The album cover? Band name. Oh, sorry. <laughs> well, I was going to say the... Well, I was going to say just the one word name, you know? yeah. But, but, dude, look at this album cover. Doesn't this look like a, I don't know, Smashing Pumpkins album cover or something? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Or or just like Helmet, you know, or Hum, like all those bands, those one-word band names. So, you know, like like uh, James Mercer was saying, you know, he he was more drawn to like the oldies kind of, you know, the, that kind of music and... There's a lot of there were a few band members in Flake that were just weren't into it. They thought it was boring. Um, so, anyways, this album's great, dude. I just listened to it for the first time all the way through a couple weeks ago. I didn't even know about Flake until I, I dove into the Shins uh, this past couple weeks. Um, so, I'm going to play track two off of this album again. This is the only full length that Flake ever released. Came out in uh, 1997. Uh, this is a song called Blast Valve. There's a crowd that believes any lie that rhymes. Rubs us better than our thoughts, I guess. When you look straight into the heart, Yeah, man. Um, just your your classic '90s alt rock sound, you know. So it sounds like he was he was no longer captivated by that anymore. Like he was no no longer interested in making music like that. He was like, kinda... let's, just, let's just put it this way, dude. So that same that that clip of him that I that I had from that interview in 2007. 
later on, the the interviewer asks him, like, you know, are there any songs that you had, like, under your belt that, you know, that, that you brought to the table for Flake that they just weren't into? Uh, and he said, yeah, I... I already I had already written Phantom Limb, you know that song, right? Oh yeah. He he dude, he had already written that and sang it, you know, a rough ass version of it to the members of Flake uh and they weren't into it. So, yeah, he was just on a different like he he was wanting to do something completely different than what his band members were into for the most part. I mean, like I said, well, I don't know if I mentioned this yet, actually. <laughs> but uh, the drummer for, for Flake, his name's, again, Je- Jesse Sandoval, went on to play drums for The Shins. So here's here's how it went down. Flake, the band Flake existed at the same time as The Shins. Uh, and I'm sorry, I'm quoting this from like a speech to text that I did when I was listening to another interview. Mm-hmm. So it might sound weird. I'm going to try to to make it work as I'm reading this. Uh, but he says, Flake existed at the same time as the Shins because Jesse and I would be a duo, uh, just a two-piece, and we would go and play shows as the Shins, and we would do different songs, more old-style pop songs, uh, a little bit more garagey when we first started, so it had a retro thing to it that Flake wasn't into. Uh, and then he had another guy named Dave Hernandez join on to play bass. So it turned into like a three piece. Uh, and Hernandez was in a, a punk rock band called Scared of Shaka. And they were also a band based out of Albuquerque, which I don't think I even mentioned yet. That's where uh, the Shins hail from, Albuquerque, New Mexico. So I read that, um, that the way that they were were uh, put on Sub Pop's radar was they were asked to open for their friends, Modest Mouse, in 1998. Yes, sir. And so they were touring with Modest Mouse, and that's when Sub Pop uh, discovered them. And, uh, yeah, which is interesting because, I mean, you know, Modest Mouse is is also one of those, uh, you know, the thing about Modest Mouse is that they, they sort of started with, you know, Bands like uh, Sonic Youth and stuff, you know, they're kind of in that that era of like '90s alt rock, yeah. pseudo grunge types, not really grunge on the fringes of grunge and stuff. And then they, Modest Mouse, kind of became an indie band in a way, yeah, dude. You know, with their Float On record, that was around the same era, you know. So I feel like, yeah, they defined like what we th- when we think of indie music. I feel like the Shins and Modest Mouse were on the forefront of that. And I I think a lot of that has to do with like their harmonies. And uh, again, like, like part of that quiet is the new loud movement. Well, I mean, there's nothing quiet about Modest Mouse. No, but still like, uh, I mean, come on, let's, uh, I mean, quiet is the new loud. When you hear a band like Kings of Convenience, they are quiet, right? In, in, in comparison to the Shins, but I think it's more, I don't know. I I feel like I feel like um yeah. I mean, it is kind of one of those things where it's like it, there's obviously a spectrum with everything, right? But more of that like pseudo folky kind of indie rock. 
I think a lot of it has to do with the vocals and maybe like the harmonies. And we we keep referencing King's Convenience. So let's just put it out there. If you don't know who the fuck we're talking about, we do have a, f- a full length episode. Actually, we have two episodes technically because uh, we have like that bonus episode that I posted. I mean, this is over. This is over a year ago now, but we've got a couple episodes on Kings of Convenience. Yeah, yeah. They ushered in this "Quiet is the New Loud" movement, which was around the same time, early two thousands. I, I feel like that. I think that's a subshoot of indie. Like it's a it's a shoot off of this kind of music, you know. But you know, I think one of the driving forces of quiet as a new loud quote unquote is that we were on the other side of, of grunge and rock musicians were wanting to turn the distortion down a little bit, you know? Yeah. Which is funny because before that people that, you know, like bands that were kind of trying to create their own sound with, um, shoegaze and dream pop were also, on the other side of like heavy metal and stuff, you know, like, so it just kept, it it kept like getting, I mean, I guess quieter and quieter would be the best way to put it. Even, even with grunge compared to metal, like, you know, it's just continuing to get more and more like subdued in some ways, Um, you know? So before we, dive into O Inverted World, I wanted to play one song from uh, The Shin's first single, which is an album called Nature Bears a Vacuum. Came out in 1998. Uh, this is an EP. The Shin's fully formed. This is the first, like, hey, here's here's a, a handful of songs. This is The Shin's, you know, uh, recorded. And the reason I wanted to play it is because like this is a just a punk song, dude. I mean it's it's I can see where James Mercer, you know, kind of broke free from from the flake music sound, but like this sounds nothing like the shins, dude. This sounds nothing like O Inverted World. Um, but I just wanted to play a little bit of it. This is the first track on that EP. It's called Those Bold City Girls. <laughs> Yeah, I mean you're 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 right that it doesn't sound like the shins that we know, but you can definitely hear sort of the 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 beginnings of of it. You yeah, know? like his, I, I feel like his vocal stylings really are what are make uh make them such a unique band. So like he was already doing that kind of stuff. Totally. And then like the pivot, you know, there are a couple of pivots in that song where it started to do some stuff that was different from a traditional punk song yeah, with that, that uh, you know, whatever keyboard like organ sound yeah. that they had there 
I mean, that's the thing. It's I feel like after having listened to this album all the way through today, O Inverted World, that's kind of what 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 I noticed is that it's it's the sort of the '60s pop Brit pop sound in in some instances, but there's always some sort of a pivot that happens or some sort of like you know interesting segue that happens in the songs, you know. And I think that's what makes them the shins, you know, those that blending of of retro and, and modern, you know. Totally. Yeah. And before we get too much into it, like, you know, I want to play another, I want to play our first track from O Inverted World here real quick. But I just wanted to say briefly, like, this is another one of those albums where and I feel like there's been at least two or three uh, debut albums that we've covered for bands where the majority of what you're hearing is music that they recorded themselves at home, like with their own recording instruments and everything. Um, this is the case for this album. Uh, James Mercer and the Shins brought the majority of these recordings to Sub Pop, stuff that he did himself, you know, home recordings, which I always think is great when that's the case. Like, And even if it's with like shitty... Uh, recording devices you know and shitty gear it's part of what adds to like the greatness of this the sound you know and and the experience when you're listening to these albums um that's the case for o inverted world so anyways let's dive into our first pick let's play track two from the record this is one of my favorites it's called one by one all day we've got a couple clips from this one Yeah, I mean, like I was saying earlier, like the um, the jangly guitar yeah. in that song is is super, um, you know, sixties Brit pop, you know. Yeah, like like you had mentioned uh, the Zombies, and uh, yeah, of course the Beach Boys were a huge influence on on James Mercer. Obviously, the Beatles too. So, 
And yeah, that I mean, that's the thing. Like, think about you know, he was in this band called Flake, and two thirds or, or or half of the the band members were just not into it. Like, they thought this kind of stuff was boring. But I think the thing is, he takes it and, and if you, I, f- I feel like if you were to isolate his vocal track and only listen to the music, it would sound like a '60s rock song. And then you add his his vocals on top of it, and it becomes this modern song. This this new sound yeah and that's that's the thing too like from what i've read his lyrics always came last it was it was Mm. chord progression and melody first uh and then lyrics um and one thing that that i've read from a few interviews and and uh, articles on o inverted world um this this album is is heavy on the reverb just in in overall in the way it sounds um he kind of masks his vocals and a lot of the instruments in reverb. And that's simply because he was trying to mask the fact that he was using, you know, like it sound, it was recorded and sounded shitty. So he would throw some reverb on pretty much everything and it would kind of mask that shittiness. Well, it sounds like they, uh, I read that they recorded this in his like basement studio. Yeah. And, and, um, and he he jokes like in a nostalgic way about how he recorded this on an an HP pavilion, you know, a, a Hewlett Packard. Yeah, and um, sure, yeah. And that's one thing that a lot of people say between this album and their next one, uh, which is called "Shoots Too Narrow," which came out a couple of years later. That's a big difference. Is like his vocals are just right there, front and center. On shoots too narrow, um, and one of the main reasons is because uh, it was just recorded with much better equipment. Oh, I'm sure they they stepped out of the basement for the next yeah. one. Yeah, and so they they signed a deal with Sub Pop and guaranteed Sub Pop three records. So Sub Pop got O Inverted World, Shoots Too Narrow, and Wincing the Night Away, which is, I mean, to me that's the shins. It's the trifecta. That's the trifecta, dude. Because since then, I mean, I'm not going to get into it, but Basically, the shins now is just James Mercer, and like, uh, yeah, I mentioned Jesse Sandoval, Sandoval, Sandoval well, however you say his fucking last name. <laughs> he was the drummer in Flake, and he was a drummer for a good bit of their early work. But from what I read, Mercer kicked out Jesse from the band for quote unquote aesthetic purposes. Oh, yeah, dude. Come on now, James. What the fuck does that even mean? I know, dude? dude. Aesthetic purposes, like what? So that you look a certain way on stage? Fuck you, yeah. dude. I mean, I mean, think about it, dude. If he's trying to pay homage to '60s rock bands, I mean, they did all have a very uniform look. But the fuck, yeah. Uh, yeah Jesse, Jesse is quoted as saying, "Like, yeah, I was basically just booted from the band. You know, no hard, no hard feelings. But yeah, that's what happened." Anyways, I don't remember why I I made two clips for one by one all day, but we've got another one. Uh, But hey, before we play the second clip, let's take a quick break. And we're back. Um, Something dope's bound to happen in this second clip. Let's find out. (laughs) Here's clip two from one by one all day.
Yeah, that's the exactly what the the curveballs I was talking about, like the segues yeah. that they take sometimes that, that are really like delightful when it happens because you're not expecting it. And uh, I mean, that sounds like a xylophone or something like that that he's that he's playing, S- something like that, or a yeah. harmonium or something. Yeah, it's really cool. And I just you know, like like you had said before, um, the Shins pretty much helped reestablish Sub Pop Records as like uh, you know a main force. In uh, like the indie world, yeah, I'm reading. I'm just reading from Wikipedia, but like, Sub Pop didn't have like a main artist that they could like point to. You know, like like they just didn't have a a big hitter uh, for quite a few years before the Shins came along. So that that's big, man. And and again, like I don't know how much of this has to do with with New Sling showing up on the movie Garden State, but. Um, you know, that just... It probably didn't hurt. You <laughs> right. Know? Um, and that's a funny thing, too. Like, I, I listened to a lot of interviews and read uh, quite a few interviews with James Mercer. It's funny because a lot of the interviewers are like, hey, I like shoots too narrow more than O Inverted World because, you know, it showcases your vocals more and you, you sound more confident and, you know, the album just sounds a different way. And like we said, it's you know, Inverted World sounded the way it did because he was just recording with shitty, you know, shitty equipment. Um, but, you know, I, I think it's funny that, like, you know, with all these people reflecting back on it and saying, yeah, you know, I love Shoots De Nero, even more so than O Inverted World. But, like, it was this home recording album that, you know, was, like, just covered in reverb and all this stuff to mask the fact that he was using shitty equipment this is the album that put sub pop back on the map you know like i that's one of the things i love about diving into the debut records from from artists because and the one artist that i can think of that comes to mind that we've covered before where this is the case is animal collective with uh sung tongs you know mm-hmm. that that was their home recording. Um, for me, this is my favorite Shins record. Is that because it's their first record, and you just like? There's just something about this record. I feel like it's be, you know part of it's because, I mean, it, it clocks in at like just over half an hour. It's it's a really quick listen. That's right. But it's just, yeah. I mean, when you listen to it, and you told me you just listened to it all the way through for the first time today. Correct. It's great. No, like you said, I, I like that it's only, it's not even 35 minutes long. You it's, know? it's one of those records where like you listen to it all the way through and you're like, man, I just, I wish there was more. Like it just ended too soon. Um, yeah. But it's a great little collection of song ideas, probably, you know, that you, to just, you know, they threw onto the record. Yeah. And let's, to, to fucking throw this point home, let's dive into our next clip here. This is the next song on the record. This is another one of my favorites. It is called Weird Divide. Between our 
Yeah, I feel like this is when you start to hear sort of the a little bit of the Beach Boys influence, you know, right with the with the harmonies and everything. And yeah. there's just this like, but then and then that that Spanish guitar comes out of nowhere, you know. Yeah, that's what I'm dude, that, yeah, that's why I wanted to play this song. I just love that Spanish guitar, and there's just this like. I mean, I feel like a lot of times we, we 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 seem to to use this the same like descriptors for yeah, songs yeah. a lot because like you know we're just music fans. We're not you know we're not musicians ourselves. We're not like, critics or anything. Yeah, yeah. But it's got this like dreamy like weird flow to it where. Uh, but I think that's a little bit of the the effects that they've got on his voice. You know. It sounds, you know, you see there's a lot of reverb, and I feel like reverb tends to, to give off that vibe, you know, that, like, sort of dream, dreamy, yeah. floating kind of vibe. Yeah, and know? it's like the flow of, of of his, you know, his melody and everything. Um, and his lyrics are always just fucking weird as shit, dude. Like, a lot, most of the time, I just yeah. don't know what the hell he's talking about. Um, but I love, I love his, his songwriting. Um I I pulled up the lyrics, but I'm not even gonna I'm not even gonna bother because like it doesn't make any sense, dude. Honestly, it doesn't mean anything to me. <laughs> um, but yeah, dude, I, I I threw that song on here at the last minute. I wasn't gonna play this one, but you know, I listened to it again, and I was just like, man, I I love this song, dude. I got I gotta play it. So let's jump straight ahead, dude. I, I feel like this is gonna be lengthy if we don't be careful here. Uh, next song on the album that I'm going to play is one of my, fa- well, I keep saying, I've said this for everyone, one of my favorites, but this one always stands out to me. I, I love this song. Uh, we're going to jump down a few tracks. Uh, this is track eight on the record. It's called Girl on the Wing. Yeah, so this song, uh, when I heard it today for the first time, I mentally made a note to like, I think this is the first time on this record that I've had the urge to like headbang in a way. Like, I feel like this is the heaviest song on the album. Um, and it's got, you know, it's got a punk punk rock aesthetic yeah. to it, you know, punk rock vibe. Yeah. So, I mean, there's that. And I think, you know, maybe this is, more in line with the stuff that that, that he was doing with, with, with Flake, Flake yeah. you know. Last pick of the album is my absolute favorite, maybe my favorite Shin song, is the last track on the album. This is a song called The Past and Pending. I 
Someone sets light to the first fire of autumn. We settle down to cut ourselves apart. Cough and twitch from the news on your face. And some foreign candle. So this song for me, man, it's just the lyrics and like the mood. Um, last month we were trying to think of albums that just kind of fit into this like feeling that you get during this time of year. You know, I'm not talking about for any holiday reason or, you know, like there's something about. Oh, yeah, there's definitely certain feelings that you get depending on the time of year, like fall uh just has something about it that that uh brings about a certain feeling that's in the air you know as music lovers you know like i will listen to to albums or or even just a band will just put me in like a a state of mind that will that makes me think you know it'll make me think of a certain time of year or a, th- a certain feeling yeah a certain time of of your life yeah Th- this album to me oh inverted world is just october november december you know um this song happens to sp- the first line in the in this song speaks of autumn and that's not why it makes me think of this time of year it sounds like that might be dude no no, dude. If somebody says the word autumn, well, you're gonna think but, of but autumn. for me, for me, it's the it's the acoustic guitar and like the really subtle, very quiet like melody uh, harmonies uh, in this song. The lyrics are fucking beautiful, dude. Um, yeah, I, I hear you. That's what makes that. That's why I love this song so much. 
you know, it's it's to me this is like a, just one of my favorite like heartache breakup songs. Um, yeah, this is this is a song that I can relate to with the lyrics where it may, makes a little bit more sense. I don't know if I have, I want to dive into them or not. Um, I guess I I might as well, right? Um, let's see. Yeah, so so my favorite my favorite line is from the, the second verse. He says, "Held to the past, too aware of the pending, chill as the dawn breaks and finds us up for sale. Into the fog, another low road descending, away from the cold lust, your house in summertime." You know, it's just like held to the past, like thinking back to all the beautiful moments of this relationship but you're so aware of the pending like future that you know like yeah it's like it's very uh very poetic yeah it's it's looking back on all these great moments in a relationship but well aware of the fact that like it's not that's not what it is anymore and you know like we're breaking up you know it's just it's a beautiful song I, i i love this song so much man yeah, um, and uh, you know, again, you know, keeping up with the theme, you know, there's nice little moments like the the French horn yeah, that comes in, beautiful, you know, beautiful, where it's just like now that talk about kings of convenience, like that's definitely oh, a kings totally. of convenience moment. But yeah, like you're saying, like these, it's it's moments like this in the album that you're just you're pleasantly surprised by, you know, like you're just not expecting it. Yeah, and it it. uh it never. It seems like it never like deters from the song. Like it always improves it. Yeah. It's not like they were doing it to be quirky or whatever. It's never like. Le- but I think it not- contributes to this overall vibe of like whimsy, you know, and yeah. like kind of like we were saying, playful. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's good stuff. Good stuff. Um. So yeah, before this episode becomes too goddamn long. Let's wrap it up, dude. I, I think that's a great, you know, that this is O Inverted World to me. This is the the music from this album that I wanted to share with you all. I love James Mercer. You know, this is is just one of those super important like lyricists and songwriters of of this time for me. You know. Yeah. No. Absolutely. So uh, let let's dive into our what you heard, dude. Um, let me share a song with you that I discovered this week. Just by looking, like diving into um, influences that James Mercer had, you know, back in the flake days, you know, when, when he was first getting into to songwriting. Um, so he'd mentioned in that clip that we played earlier, they were kind of, you know, flake as a band. They were kind of swept, um, swept up in this like pavement. And then he also mentions in another clip that I didn't end up playing for this episode a band called Archers of Loaf. Ever heard of them? Archers of Loaf. Like a loaf of bread. Nope. Okay. Well, um, he, you know, this is this is just something, like I said, like he, he felt like they were kind of emulating their sound, maybe not even on purpose, but like they, they, they were just swept into this, this sound, and that's just kind of how their music came across. Um and, you know, that's something that he was trying to steer away from. And that's why he split off and, and started The Shins. Uh, but anyways, I, I you know, lis- I listened to a few songs from from a few of their albums. And I, I found one that I really liked. 
from an album of theirs called VV. That's two words. V double E. Their main years were 91 to 95. Uh, this is a, an album from 95. This song is called Step Into the Light. And I'm going to play a pretty good chunk of it, dude. Uh, like almost three minutes because you, you just have to. So, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Let's hear it. So here, here's, here is Step Into the Light by the band Archers of Loaf. So I was reminded of uh, a band called Polvo, which we actually did a sidetrack on them. They were our full sidetrack. It's that kind of noise rock, math rock. Uh, dude. Not so much math rock, but more noise rock. What, what I loved about this song is how how long the 
you know intro of the song was before yeah. he got in yeah, yeah. you know like i dude mm-hmm. like but that's part of that 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 noise rock where it's like you know it's a lot of like we you know very unconventional sounding like melodies and stuff going on well i feel like that you know noise rock and shoegaze kind of go hand in hand where it's that like you know they they got the term shoegaze from like you know the performers when you saw them live were gazing at their shoes i mean because in a lot of shoegaze music they were using a lot of effects pedals but like yeah even, even yeah. with norse rock like it's very droney and like um sure you know you can get into this weird headspace if you listen to it where you like like when i first heard the song like i i wasn't expecting any words you know like i, yeah. I was expecting it to be a uh, an instrumental song and then Three minutes into it, he's he, you know the the first verse comes in and it's like man that yes that I'm into this and the album cover is really cool. So uh, you know the song it goes on. I would oh guess, yeah, right? yeah, 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 yeah. I just I did, I just wanted to fade it out right after he started singing because like that's that's what gripped me was that change from just you know instrumental for you know two and three quarters of a minute and then he starts singing and yeah dude that's that's when the song starts at about three minutes in and and the song's only four four minutes and 20 seconds long so anyways that's my what you heard dude what you got for us what you been all right heard? q i got a good one for us so this this band is called helvetia and it's pronounced or it's spelled like Helvetica without the C. So when I first, you know, came across the band, I was like, oh, are they, is it a play on the word Helvetica, like Helvetica or something like that? But it's Helvetia, which is actually the name of uh, sort of the, it's sort of like Switzerland's uh, Lady Liberty. It's the name of this female sort of personification of Switzerland, this, uh, this imagery of, of this, uh, this this female in a in a flowing gown with a spear and a shield. Okay. So anyway, uh, I've been on this sort of um, kick lately, kind of bouncing around from '90s sounding bands that are more modern. Um, and I would say these guys kind of fall in that camp. They're they're definitely not a grunge throwback like uh, like Narrowhead, that band I brought to the table a couple of weeks ago. But um, anyway. Uh, I came across uh, one of their more recent albums. Uh, it's called Dromomania and came out in 2015. And the song that we're going to listen to today is called A Dot Running for the Dust.
Dude, I loved it. I love it. I love it. <laughs> yeah, it's I'm, good stuff, man. It, man. Um, I really liked the. I liked the mix, dude. Like, I liked. I liked how that how yeah. they how they did it. Um. Yeah. It, it, yeah. It's. I love the drum beat. That sort of really kind of consistent drum beat throughout. That doesn't really change all that much. But it's got that that kind of like that that stop where the bass drum kind of kicks a few times and then it goes into sort of the chorus of it. It's, it's really well done. Yeah. And I liked how the, that main, uh, melody line with the mm-hmm. uh, keyboard or whatever synthesizer. Yeah. It, yeah. it sounds like it's, I mean, it's, it's muted almost like it's, 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 yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it's really quiet it, in the background the whole time. Yeah. Not his voice whatsoever, but the, the, the music there in that particular kind of instrument, whatever that was, kind of reminded me of Deer Hunter a little bit. I, dude, you know who I was reminded of? Please tell me, because I'm trying to, I'm trying to figure out in my head like who, who all does this sound like? Because there's a lot of, I'm hearing a lot of different bands when I hear this. Dude, it sounds like Midlake, Circa, Bamnan, and Sliverkorg, the fucking album that we're gonna cover next week, dude. I'm not gonna, and I'm not gonna say anything else because. That's crazy. Uh, you know, we don't like to we don't like to spill beans, but dude, that reminded me yes. of Bamnan and Slivercork. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you're definitely right, and it's not maybe a little bit his voice, but not not so much the voice, no, but, but really but, the kind of the quirkiness of that of yeah, that keyboard. Yeah, the quirkiness and like yeah, yeah. I don't know how to describe it. I don't want I don't want to get into it. Let's you know we'll we'll, we'll save it for next week. But yeah, dude. I, I will say that the the rest of the album it's it's a mix. They. They have a lot of different sounds that they that they kind of play with. Okay. Um, but yeah, the you know it's really it's really uh, sort of experimental in that way, you know, and and uh, a lot of a lot of interesting things that, that that they do. So the band is from Seattle, of course, because who isn't from Seattle? I don't know why you said of course, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot of great bands. Up there. I, I don't know. I feel like I've been talking about a lot of Seattle bands lately. We've been talking about Seattle. Yeah. But we talked about sub pop almost the entire yeah. episode today. So, anyway, um, a good band, good album. Um, haven't really dug into much else that they put out. They're actually pretty prolific. They they put out twelve albums in uh, in the span of um, about thirteen years. They they, they formed in two thousand five. Um, first album came out in two thousand six. So I mean, they're prolific. That's crazy. That's that's a lot, man. Because, I mean, like, off the top of my head, Fleet Foxes has released what three albums in that time span? Yeah, I mean that's the thing. It's like, you know, now you know it is worth noting. It's not twelve full length albums. Some of them are EPs and stuff, but still, yeah, that's great, dude. So anyway, that, I I loved it, man. I'm gonna listen to this whole album probably tomorrow on my on my commute to work, dude. I'll tell you, the whole album is enjoyable, dude. From start to awesome. finish, it's, it's good stuff. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. So this, we're going to be wrapping up our distortion-free November next week. Um, we hinted at at the band recovering. Uh, we're going to cover Midlake's album Bamnan and Slivercork, and I'm too lazy to pull up when this came out, but I feel like it was around the same time. I got you covered, dude. I got something called Google. Yeah, bring it up. When did this album come out? Two thousand and four. Yeah, we're going to cover Midlake's album from 2004, Bamnan and Slivercork. Uh, definitely our favorite album from this band. Um, you know what I'm happy about, dude? What? 
we're finally going to talk about a band from my neck of the woods, dude. Hey, there we go. No more Seattle stuff, dude. This, these guys are from Denton. Uh, you know, the one... You say your neck of the woods, but dude, I was born and raised. Okay, that's fine. My my current residence. There we go. Um, yeah, dude, I'm excited. I'm, I'm really excited to play this music and share it with, with you all. Um, I'm hoping that this, I'm hoping this is an album that a lot of people don't know about. Um, so yeah, in the same way that Zach Braff sort of helped the shins out on Garden State, I heard that, um, Jason Lee of My Name is Earl did a similar thing with Midlake. I don't remember what it was exactly or like how he promoted them or, or, or something, but he, he, he gave them some sort of shout out and it sort of put them on the map. Hey, dude, I'll let's save it. I'll save it for next week. Save it for. But next there week. is a there is a and very obvious reason um, why he why he put their name on the map. So we'll talk about that next week. Cool. All right. So to wrap it up, check us out on PantheonPodcast.com. Uh, that is the music podcast network that we are so proud to be a part of, and you can find plenty of other great music podcast content on the network. Uh, also, swing by our website, nofillerpodcast.com, where you can find all of our previous episodes uh, and read show notes where we list the track list, all the songs we talked about, including the sidetracks, and we list any sources that we cited uh, when uh, we dug into these bands and albums. And uh, yeah, that's that. Uh, next week, we're talking about Midlake, and I'm super stoked, dude. It's such a such a fun album, you know, and such a talented group of dudes from Denton, Texas, you know, just wanted to mention that again. <laughs> so anyway, um, yeah, that's that, man. So uh, cool. Q, you got anything else to add? Yeah, I've got an outro track for us, dude. Okay. James Mercer had mentioned being a huge fan of Steve Copeland. Wait, no, I'm Steve. Um, Stuart Copeland and Ooh, yeah, from his, the police. Yeah, dude, drummer from the police. Mm. He, he was a big fan of how how his drums were mixed in uh, the police's debut album. Which, forgive me, because I don't speak French, but their album is called. I think it's French. God, I don't even know, dude. It's <laughs> it's called Oh Out- my God. Outlandos de Amor. How how that sound? Is that okay? Sounds good to me, bro. All right. Well, uh, yeah, this is this is the Police's debut album from 1978. This album's got Roxanne on it, which we all know, and uh, So Lonely, which I'm a fan of, you know. Uh, but anyways, you know, he mentioned how, how much he loved the sound of Stuart Copeland's drums in the mix on this record. And so I thumbed through the tracks and found a song that, you know, spoke out to me as far as like really dope ass drumming and this is just a super solid like punk rock song uh you know late 70s punk rock song from the police i'd never heard of before so we're gonna we're gonna fade us out with this it it, you know who the main writers are on this one sting and Stuart copeland dude and most of these tracks they don't mention Stuart as a writer so this is one that he also helped write which is cool. Well, there you go. Uh, yeah. So this is a song called Peanuts. This is the last track on side one of the police's debut record from 78 called Outlandos. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
Just kidding. Uh, but anyways, <laughs> yeah, uh, this is going to do it for us. We'll wrap us up with this song. Again, it's called Peanuts by the Police, and we will shout at y'all next week. Thank you, as always, for listening. My name is Quentin. My name is Travis. Y'all take care. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.